You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. If you listen to us via iTunes, I would ask you to take a minute and write a positive review about the radio show. Uh, if you write a negative review, you can do that as well. But why are you continuing to listen? This is what we do. This is a powerful way for you to help us grow. I'm just kidding. Uh, grow our business and our audience. I'm not kidding about that. This is a powerful way for you to contribute to our success because it makes our show more available to other people who might want to listen to Critical Mass Radio Show but not know that we exist. All right, I, before the break, I said we're going to have Greg Leroy on. We're going to be talking about a report that his organization, Good Jobs First, recently published. I gave you the tease when I said that um, many of the economic development funds that were set aside were going to large companies, companies with over 100 employees. So, Greg, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Oh, great to be with you, Rick. Let's simply get started by saying... Um, what was your back? Let's talk a little bit about you, and then we'll talk about the organization, and then we'll talk about your report. What's your background? So I, I sort of backed into this issue accidentally, starting about 30 years ago in Chicago, working on plant closings. I created a national consulting practice at a different nonprofit to try to help people avoid plant closings. And along the way, I discovered that many of the factories that were closing had gotten tax breaks. They had gotten enterprise zone credits or training grants or industrial revenue bonds. And now that money was being, you know, run away with, basically. And we often just used it as a way to argue against, you know, to drag the mayor or the governor or whoever had given the company the money into the fight. And in a couple of cases, we actually arrested a shutdown or got a big settlement based on, you know, fine print. But, but usually it was just a matter of kind of turning up the temperature on the company as it left town to, to pay better severance or something. I wrote a book 21 years ago called No More Candy Store, collecting reforms that were popping up in the wake of these uh, scandals, reforms like anti-piracy rules and better sunshine and more you know, transparency and wage and health care uh, improvements on incentives. And then I started Good Jobs First 17 years ago and wrote another book 10 years ago called The Great American Job Scam, which kind of sort of an update of the landscape of the problem. So, you know, states and cities spend about $70 billion a year in the name of economic development, and an awful lot of that money is not well targeted or monitored or evaluated, and therefore we think it's being wasted. And it's absolutely not, in many cases, benefiting small businesses. So let's talk about Good Jobs First, the organization that you found. What What's the mission? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing in practice. Sure. Our mission is to help anybody be they grassroots groups, small business group, labor, environmental, public interest, um, or public official, elected official, appointed official, anybody who wants to try to fix economic development incentive programs by making them more accountable, more transparent, more effective. Um, And we publish model legislation. We push a lot for transparency and then collect data that's disclosed online in a big online database on our website called Subsidy Tracker so that people can see for themselves where the money's going and what's happening with the money. And then we help journalists do investigative journalism. We train for journalist conferences, and we train for public officials and other uh, grassroots groups. And um, we're also very excited because there's a new accounting standard coming online uh, next year that's going to begin to generate a lot more information about how much money is actually lost to public services for these tax breaks and in many cases, we still can't really tell what the price tag is. 
why is this important to our listening audience and the greater community? Uh, Greg, why, why is the work that you're doing in goodjobsfirst.org important? Oh, it's, it's so important because, you know, everybody wants the economy to be better. We all want to create jobs. The question is, how do we get from here to there? And the trouble is, we think the system has been, the, the, the system of economic development has really been taken over by people who are transactors, site location consultants, tax dodging consultants, offshore tax consultants, and so on. Um, it's not really focused on the companies that are loyal to local economies, the small and local companies that are more likely to generate better ripple effects, that are less likely to be disloyal and run away. And and therefore, we think the system is just dominated by those companies that have the most political clout to kind of both rewrite the rules to their favor and then take advantage of those rules and, and get the big tax breaks. But it's not really about job creation in too many cases. There's many other aspects you could point out. We've also mapped the geographic distribution of deals and find them to be very biased against central cities, against communities of color, against workers who don't own a car to get to work, etc. It's... Uh, the money is too loosely monitored. Okay. And um, your organization, I was aware of your organization for some time, and you really caught my eye just a couple weeks ago with your publishing of um, a report which you titled Shortchanging Small Business, How Big business dom- big Businesses Dominate State Economic Development Incentives. Before we get into the substance of that report, how typical is this report to the kind of work that GoodJobsFirst.org does? Oh, it's completely typical. I mean, we um, want to show people the power of disclosure so that because this study completely relies on the fact that we were able to isolate uh, 4,200 deals in a bunch of states and then get way down in the weeds and look to see what was going on with them. But we've done other disclosure studies to look at, again, the, the geography of deals, the wage level of deals, the quality of uh, disclosure uh, you know, grading the states, giving them report cards. Um, it's its very much like what we do. And we certainly encourage other people to copy our methodologies and, and want them to do so and, and make it easy for them. And this is a 26-page report, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's available on their website, which we're going to talk more about. And uh, So, Greg, l- let's get into this report. Uh, I, I found it interesting. So can you share some of your findings from your report titled Shortchanging Small Business? Sure. So we, in the past, we had done a study looking broadly at, the, at all the deals in our big subsidy tracker database, uh, which at that point numbered more than 300,000 deals. And we had found, even in that large body of uh, data, that about three-quarters of the money went to fewer than 1,000 global uh, ultimate corporate parents. Mm. So we, we had a sense already that in this broad universe of uh, company-specific data about where incentive money was going, that there was a a bias toward big companies. And we certainly knew from other past journalistic accounts that that were all small and kind of fragmentary, but they also found a bias towards big business. But we wanted to really set up kind of a pure test tube and ask the question, if we look at some programs that are theoretically open to companies of every size and don't have a big barrier to entry, don't require a $100 million, you know, capital investment or, you know, hiring 50 new employees or whatever, can we get a clear answer to whether the programs are biased uh, against small business and in favor of big business? 
and after a very kind of labor-intensive process that I won't bore you with to right. sift through more than 500 candidate programs that we considered for that pure test tube, uh, we found 16 of them in 14 states, and we looked at, at, whenever possible, at five years of awards in each program, which added up to about 4,200 deals altogether in the 14 states, and we found a profound bias against small business. We found that big businesses, and, and I'll, we'll talk about definitions, I know you want to talk about that in a minute, but, but based on our definition of a big business, we found that they got 70% of the awards and 90% of the money, despite the fact, as you, as you put in your header, you know, according to the U.S. Uh, census, only 2% of companies, uh, business establishments are 100 employees or more. So we're, we're seeing a tiny sliver of uh, total employers getting 90% of the money. So let's, to be clear with our audience, which tend to be CEOs and business owners running companies with a couple million dollars in revenue to maybe on the top end around 100 million. So what I think of as smaller businesses, uh, lower middle market companies, when you use the term bias, what do you mean by that when, when you use it in this context? Well, we mean that effectively, again, for com- for programs that are theoretically open to all comers of every size, the truth is, you know, a small number of companies at the at the high end of the of the company size range are getting nearly all the money. Um, if if the money were distributed in the same way as companies exist in the spectrum of company sizes, you would have seen the opposite. You would have seen ninety percent of the money going to small businesses. Are you able to, from, okay, so you, you looked at 16 programs run by 14 states. Now, we we broadcast from Southern California. California wasn't one of the states. It was one of the... I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. But I have a national following yeah, with this, if not international, but really for this, we have a national following. Um, how did you select the, did you select the states and then the programs, or did you select the programs and then they defaulted into the states? How did that work? Yeah, it was really purely driven by where there were programs that met this pure test tube definition. Uh, we ha- we had to look for programs that didn't have a high barrier to entry, and therefore could be honestly considered a an intellectually honest you know probe into whether or not there was bias. Is there any what it boiled down to? Sorry, Greg, and I, and I should say I'm talking with Greg Leroy. He is the founder and also executive director of GoodJobsFirst.org. Um, if you were to is there any way to know if you if you broadened your research to all the states or a majority of the states? Do, is your do you think your findings would hold, or, or am I asking you a question that's unable to be answered? No, I know I have every confidence that we would find the same results. Uh, you know, I think this, the spectrum of states that we covered was quite broad. We had big industrial states like uh, New York and Pennsylvania, and, and big population state like Florida. Uh, as well as rural states like Vermont and New Mexico and middling states like Virginia and Louisiana and Indiana. Uh, I think that um, this is just the norm. Uh, I mean, we're certainly going to do some follow-up studies looking, attaching price tags to every state, every program in, in some select number of states to go back and get exactly to the question you're asking. But, uh, And I don't want to prejudge our results, but we believe that that if there's a, a severe programmatic bias against small business across the board. Is it okay, Greg? Greg Leroy of GoodJobsFirst.org. <laughs> is is there any way from the data that you looked at to figure out why that is the case, or can you only detect this is the case? 
Yeah, we didn't explore a lot of why, and I think there's a few major causes. One goes to the point I made before, which is that big businesses spend money creating tax breaks for themselves and then create spend money cashing in on those tax breaks. If you look at the history of some of the big programs that we grade in our report card studies or that we examine in some of our other studies, you know, they were lobbied for by the state chambers of commerce, by the state manufacturers associations whose boards and lobbying budgets are dominated by the Fortune 500, essentially. So I, I think there's just a real history of, you know, direct sort of self-interest tie-ins in, in many cases for some of these big programs. I think it's also true that, and we heard this when we interviewed a bunch of small business groups with about 24,000 members in a, in a separate study that we published five weeks earlier, a lot, of the, a lot of these programs don't fit well for small businesses. I mean, if you're a small, early life cycle startup burning through venture capital, you don't have an income tax liability, so therefore an income tax credit, which is what some of these programs are, doesn't do you any good, or you may still be carrying you know, net loss carry forwards. You don't need a tax. You don't need an income tax break. Mm-hmm. Frankly, um, you need other things, but not that. So we heard from a lot of those business groups that that not only do these programs not fit them well, but they think the money would be better spent in ways that benefits all employers broadly. They said we need help with the credit crunch, and they and they talked a lot about that. And we advocate that some of the money be reallocated to enhance credit availability for small businesses. But they also said, look, give us better education systems and vocational training programs and customized training programs and better infrastructure to get things around and get people to work and so on. Uh, help us make sure lots of consumers have lots of cash in their pockets when they walk in the front door of our retailers. Uh, that's That would matter more to us than a, an income tax break. I see. It, um, I'm talking with, we're talking with Greg Leroy here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Goodjobsfirst.org is this organization. Is there um, an overarching mandate, and I'm a little bit off script here, but state economic development initiatives sounds like to me something that the states are using their money to create economic development. Uh, is there a is there an overarching mandate that these that you were able to see in the states that the fourteen states that involved? I mean, is there sort of a, a charter that they have that is either being not followed based on how they make the awards, or is based on how they're making the awards fully supporting their economic development incentives and their charter? I think most of them. Uh, some of the commerce agencies did respond to our study because we did get quite a bit of press coverage for the study, um, dozens of articles, frankly. And, you know, and we could have scripted their responses. They said things like, well, these big companies create jobs, too, and, well, you know, the companies are open to smaller companies. They're just not taking up the, taking them up at the same rate. Um, but, but the system, it, it, you know, we have this war among the states. That's a phrase that was coined about 35 years ago by Business Week magazine. And it's unabated. It's, it's the dark side of the federalist structure of our Constitution and the fact that the federal government won't rein in the states in their race to the bottom. Uh, we don't have an elite political debate in this country about fixing this crazy, you know, zero-sum game of states trying to pirate each other. Uh, the last time the National Governors Association debated this issue was 22 years ago in 1993. There's been no debate at that level of governance or at the federal level on these issues in a sense. So self-interestedly, you know, we did this study in part because we sort of consider small businesses to be the Rodney Danger field of economic development. They get a lot of lip service, 
but they get no respect. Uh, they get lauded publicly and credited and you know warmly uh, cited, but but the numbers show they really get shortchanged. And we think in a few states we've seen small business voices make a big difference. For instance, in Illinois, a group called the Small Business Advocacy Council got very upset after several companies were given huge uh, so-called retention packages. We call them job blackmail uh, packages for companies threatening to leave the state and getting paid to stay. Sears, again, for the second time, uh, approaching a quarter of a billion dollars. And they said to the state legislature, we're, we, uh, we disagree with the new package you're proposing for Archer Daniels Midland. We said we, we think they're bluffing, they're threatening to leave Decatur and not go to Chicago, but to go to another state in the Midwest. And sure enough, the House of Representatives said no, and, and ADM stayed and moved to Chicago anyway. They blinked, which led everybody to wonder how many other deals had been bluffs as well. So uh, I cite that as an example. It's not an isolated example where, in a few cases, small uh, business voices have really shown uh, gumption and, and, and have a place in this debate that nobody else can fill, frankly. This report that we're specifically talking about looked at state economic development initiatives. Does Good Jobs First also look at programs at a federal level and influence, et cetera, that may be ex exerted at that level as well? We have veered into federal incentives a little bit. Um, we were very active during the Recovery Act in monitoring the way states disclosed where the Recovery Act money was going and what, what was happening with the stimulus uh, dollars. And we have published a couple of favorable studies on some transportation-related uh, stimulus grants as well. Um, and last spring, we added a bunch of federal incentive data to our big subsidy tracker database. We added 137 programs data since 2010 from uh, the federal government, about 140,000 new entries in those 137 programs. So, um, And we published a report. It's called Uncle Sam's Favorite Corporations, analyzing that new data, uh, proving, for example, that... Uh, Many European banks were major beneficiaries of the quantitative easing program of the Federal Reserve Bank uh, during the recovery, and many uh, some European um, energy companies were big beneficiaries of the renewable energy tax credits as yeah. part of the stimulus as well. Are you saying those things to be incendiary, or are you saying those things <laughs> to be ironic, or to help people understand sort of what the data is telling you? Uh, you know, we're, we didn't want no, we're not saying it to be incendiary. We're not saying it to be xenophobic. We're saying, you know, our economy is highly integrated, and when you create a broad program that's going to go to a lot of companies, some of those companies are going to be headquartered elsewhere, or, or, or they're going to be soon acquired by companies that are based elsewhere. In the case of the renewable energy, it was often a case of American uh, wind farms that had gotten acquired later by Spanish and other uh, European companies. So, and certainly, if you look at the other incentive programs, the federal incentive programs that we've captured in the subsidy tracker, many of them have gone to European parents. But foreign direct investment is a big prize in American uh, economic development circles today. If you go to any mainstream economic development conference, you'll, see, you'll hear a lot devoted to how to attract foreign direct investment. Everybody wants to get the next Mercedes plant or the Hyundai plant or Toyota plant or chemical manufacturer or steel mill or whatever. We're talking with Greg Leroy, and his organization is Good Jobs First. Um, I could keep you on here for a lot longer, but I'm, my engineer is telling me we're, we're walking against the <laughs> clock. But but I, I did want to ask, um, does your organization have 
any research looking at additional programs where incentives were offered for job creation and if that actually materialized, the job creation actually materialized? Have you looked at that? We have, especially at whether one can even see that data. So we did a study, uh, our most recent transparency study on the 50 states was called Show Us the Subsidized Jobs, in which we revealed that of major incentive programs at the state level, only one-fourth of them tell you whether jobs actually got created, not just projected jobs, and only one in 11 or 9% of the programs tell you if what wage levels actually got paid at those new jobs. So we have a long way. We've, we've moved the needle a great deal from fewer than half the states disclosing anything online at all eight years ago to now every state disclosing to some degree online. And we take a little credit for that because we've been shaming them and grading them all along. But we still have a long way to go about the quality of that data now, especially when it comes to actual jobs and actual wages. So I'd like to get you back on the show again to really uh, look what else is inside your knowledge vault. So would you, Greg Leroy, be willing Absolutely. to come back? Okay. Absolutely. So, so I'll have my producer reach out to you because um, this show is really targeted at lower middle market small businesses. I'm a small business advocate for, for these companies, and uh, I think the kind of work you're doing is really a voice for them and knowledge that they need. If if anybody listening live on OC Talk Radio here or .net or as a podcast, maybe on iTunes, would like to get in touch with you, learn more about your organization, how do they find you online, Greg? Uh, we're at goodjobsfirst.org. That's all one word, and first is spelled out, and my email address is there on the staff list. I want to thank you for being generous with your time. I know we're in different time zones. You're on the East Coast, so you got a three-hour head start on us, so it's kind of into your evening. I appreciate the fact that you were, uh, you've were you become a friend of our program, and a, you're going to be a repeat guest, and, and I want to applaud you and your nonprofit for the work that you're doing in support of helping small businesses have a voice where I think sometimes they're not even listened to. Well, it's great to be with you, Rick. I look forward to the feedback. All right. Thank you, sir. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi, 